I'm going to be reading from John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. This is the word of God. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. I'm really thankful that we can come here today. I'm thankful for the power and just being able to get out this morning. The purpose of our series is to consider different dimensions of God's character and really to open ourselves up to what Brennan Manning describes as healing our image of God. It's to replace false ideas with gospel clarification of who God truly is. And to keep in mind that we carry thoughts of him around with us. And this is so that we may experience him. And I have to mention, and I, I want to set this up by saying our thoughts can be visual. We can live with real images of God. And, and we do. I mean, think about it. We have this capacity to visualize things, even, even the possibility of, go, of having church in another place. We, we are imagining what that might be like. We are made to visualize and to imagine every day uh, some daily uses of the imagination. And when I say imagination, I don't mean uh, what kids used to play with or what artists may use to create with, but, but even just recalling a memory. Or even uh, thinking about summer vacation. Some of you are already thinking about summer vacation next year. All week we've been visualizing how might this storm play out. This week maybe we've recalled a memory that is very meaningful. Rankin Wilborn in his book Union with Christ, Christ says this. Imagination is that distinctly human capacity by which we imagine anything and everything that is not immediately visible to our eyes. Where did you set your keys down? Did that this morning. What would it like to have, what what do we want to have dinner tonight? What color are your mother's eyes? Whether you're aware of it or not, Rankin says, you use your imagination all the time. And in a more serious manner, The world, the enemy can hijack our imagination. 
The world can weigh us down with thoughts of rehearsing a conversation that you wish you would have said something differently. Or maybe imagination, imagining a scenario unfolding with worry. Or maybe imagining, man, I wish I had that. That person has it. I wish I, I, wish I had that. So our daily thought life is so important. Because wherever our mind goes, our life follows it. And maybe that's why Jesus engaged the imagination, our everyday imagination, through metaphor, parables, and stories. And today he casts a beautiful vision of who the Father is to him and to us. And, and it's kind of like he's inviting us in to this metaphor so that we experience the reality of who God is. When the imagination is biblically informed, it helps us to live by faith, not by sight. Listen to these words by Paul David Tripp. Imagination in this way that we're talking about is not the ability to conjure up what is unreal. No, imagination is rather the ability to see what is real but unseen. Did you catch that? Imagination is rather the ability to see what is real but unseen. So this morning, we are going to stretch our everyday imagination. We are going to look at the biblical background of the garden and vineyard metaphor. And then we will look at how can we understand this according to John 15. And then how can we make this very practical? And I'm just going to up front say, this is something that I'm so excited to talk about. But I also realize that this can be so fun and exciting, but this could be really boring for you. <laughs> so I realize there is a gap here, but I think what lies in this in this talk and what lies in this scripture is something just so transformational. So let's pray. We'll move into it. So, so Lord, we give you permission to biblically inform our everyday imagination. Lord, would you be the revealer and would you reveal a healthy concept of you? Walk us through the gallery of your scriptures, Lord, that we may see you for who you truly are. May it be so, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. So the garden metaphor, it's fascinating. It actually bookends the whole uh, story of God in the scriptures. You have the Garden of Eden on the one side, where all that happened with Adam and Eve and the fall and everything. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And then you have all the way in Revelation 22, where, where the new Jerusalem descends on the earth. And there's a garden city where the river of God flows, where its leaves are for the healing of nations. So you have this. You have uh, uh, Jesus agonizing in the garden, a kind of redemption of the second Adam, where he's restoring life with God. It's a new order. And, then, and then, so your mind's going to keep tracking with me, I know. When Jesus was on the cross... He said to the man next to him, do you, do you remember what he said? He said, with me, you will be with me in paradise. And paradise the, is, has a Persian root. The word actually means walled garden. Throughout the scriptures, garden is an image of hope and restoration. Even the king in, in Esther, the king in, uh, uh, 
he found that a walk in the garden calmed him when he was angry. Isaiah cast so many hopeful visions for the exiles. This one in, in Isaiah 51. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. The prophets even describe Jesus as the root of Jesse. In Ezekiel, he said, your, your soul will be like good soil by abundant waters. Song of Solomon and Hosea actually used the garden as a place of intimacy between a man and a woman. Whispering, flirting, wooing, a deep encounter in the garden. Psalm 52 is one of my favorite verses, verse 8. I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I just stand up straight sometimes when I hear that verse. Psalm 80, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. Even the decorations of the temple, you may not know this, both the Solomon's temple and the temple that Jesus walked, they carried a kind of garden motif. There'd be wooden furniture that had in the furniture, it would have lilies and flowers carved in, into the actual furniture. At the top of the columns in the old temple, there were, uh, there were lilies that were engraved in the, in the concrete. The word for keeper of the temple, the priest, is the same Hebrew word for cultivators of God's garden in Genesis 3. The Apostle Paul even referred to us as God's building his field in 1 Corinthians 3. It was thought that Paul knew gardening as he talked about grafting in Romans 11. This is so great. Isn't this great? <laughs> 1 Peter 1, we, uh, Peter talks about we are born of imperishable seed. In the Gospels, uh, it says that we are a tree known by its fruit. Jesus repeatedly used the garden imagery in, in the parable of the uh, sower, parable of the weeds. Garden was a place for communities. It was a place of work. You had the olive, the olive press and the wine press. It, people would come to the garden as their vocation. It was also a place of mourning. And we know this with Jesus. But the garden was, a, was often a cemetery for different communities. And the garden was a place of rest. It was a place of eating and celebrating. It was actually the ice cream shop of the day. <laughs> the point is, the garden encompasses all of life. God life and work life came together. Even this idea of man dying and returning to dust, that image is with the garden. So all of this, the point, we can reframe how we view life and God with this metaphor. We can look at our soul and our inner life as seeing as a meeting place for God, the great gardener. He tends and prunes and enjoys his place. And so we can carry these thoughts into our everyday life and experience God Almighty. So the dictionary... <laughs> The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, one of my favorite books ever, quotes C.S. Lewis saying, Make 
paradise, a region in the mind that does exist and should be visited often. Isn't that interesting? Make paradise a region in the mind that does exist and should be visited often. And that's where I think the ultimate goal here is the people we are becoming. We want to become a kind of person that helps Greensboro, North Carolina flourish. We bear fruit and extend our branches out. But we must be the kind of tree, the kind of branch that bears this fruit. So let's look at John 15, verse 1. Verse 1 says, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This is the English Standard Version. And, and the NIV says gardener. But, but the more I dove into this and looked, I realized a couple of things. One, vine dresser means earth and work put together, compound word. So earthwork. That doesn't sound too cool. Vine dresser is better. But we know uh, when, when Mary encountered Jesus at the tomb, she referred to him as gardener. And that's the only place that that word gardener is used through the New Testament. So vine dresser is really is the word that we're looking at today versus gardener. And this is significant because a gardener can be a hired hand. There's a lot of turnover with the gardener. Whereas a vine dresser is the owner. <laughs> he owns the place. He has walked with the vines, trees, flowers for years and years and years. Seasons and seasons and seasons. I had the chance to visit the Garden of Gethsemane and the, the roots of the olive trees in that same garden, it is said to be, there be thousands, maybe one or two thousands year, year old. So the vine dresser walks with these, these plants. The only tool of a vine dresser is a knife. Only the vine dresser cuts. We don't need to do that. And it's interesting when Peter pulled out his sword in the garden and he used his sword. He, he cut off uh, the soldier's ear. He took matters into his own hands. The vine dresser is caring, strong, and capable. And that allows us to have great confidence and security. So I've just, I'm, I'm just imagining in these next couple points here, I'm just imagining that vine dresser walking upon the vineyard, the garden. And as I imagine him walking upon it, I really see that he notices everything about the garden. He notices it with love. And verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And Isaiah 5, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the plant of his delight. So the vine dresser comes upon the vineyard, comes upon our lives and notices and loves us. And this is one thing that I've just been practicing lately. And it it may sound strange to you, but if you especially have kind of a dryness with your quiet time, one thing that I've done is I, I just I'll just close my eyes. I'll set my alarm for like 10 minutes and I'll just I'll just imagine him noticing me. Instead of really trying to seek him, I'll just, I'll just imagine him seeking me. That he knows everything that is on my plate. He knows everything about my life. He sees me. I think if we walk in the reality that he sees us, that can truly change how we view him. 
Because I know my default is when I wake up in the morning, (laughs) I review footage of myself. Or I look into the future. I look into the day with worry. As soon as I look in the mirror, it's like I'm, I'm looking in the mirror all day long. I don't know if you can relate with that. I have one friend I was running with years ago, and I'm like, dude, you're, you're driven. You're running hard. What's your secret? He's like, you really want me to tell you? And I was like, yeah. He says, I just imagine myself in a Nike commercial, and the cameras are following me. <laughs> Unfortunately, I could relate to that. Because oftentimes our everyday imagination is like we are watching ourselves. And, there, and that shows me we have this capacity to carry visual images with, about ourselves. And what is this going to be like? I'm going to meet with this person. It might be kind of awkward. And uh, 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 uh. What if we turn that capacity and we notice God loving us? Instead, instead of carrying reels of footage of ourselves... What if we just imagine him, as Elizabeth said, with us, putting his hand on our back, noticing us, recognizing us? What if we imagine him just walking with us, even as he did in Genesis on the cool of the day? I have a a dear friend. His name is Adam Pinkham. He's here. I got permission to share this. He works um, at, he's an officer at a correctional facility in Caswell County. And we've just been talking about this the past few months. Just where does our everyday imagination go? And how can we really use that to experience God throughout the day? And so we, he shot me a text. And again, I've got his permission. I'm just going to, I'm just going to read the part of the text. He said, that is really such a great concept to take hold of. Walking in the reality of that can really be overwhelming at times. I get emotional some mornings at Caswell when I'm working the yard. The sun is coming up. uh, The camp is quiet. The air is cool. And walking with the Lord in the cool of the day just comes to mind. Imagining that reality just helps me get through the shift. Fascinating. Great use of his everyday thought life. Excellent use of his imagination to experience what is real. Imagine him walking through the rows of your life and him noticing you and waking you up with his love. Do this. Imagine him admiring you as a vine dresser comes and admires the plants. Well, he can't admire me. I, you don't know what I did last night. I am a mess. And, and I, I think maybe we don't fully realize what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That we are in him and he is in us. Therefore, we have this ability to abide in the love of God. So I encourage you, and this is what I've been practicing that instead of waking up to these reels of footage of myself, <laughs> to wake up with this reality that he notices you. And he admires you. He loves you. And then as I see this, this vine dresser walk along the rows of your life, he is at work. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Pruning ensures faithfulness and fruitfulness. The goal is 
the person you are becoming. You, you are pulled into this Trinitarian reality where the Father is the vine dresser, the Son is the vine, and the Spirit is the sap, Christ in you. That will change the kind of person that you are. So in John 15, he really talks about two things. Abide in my word and abide in love. And I, and I think his word is powerful because if, gosh, and I think Psalm 33, God spoke the earth into existence. His word created and his word recreates. And so what we must do is we must, and this is hard, we must let the vine dresser remove stones out of our garden. We must let him remove words out of our soul because we've got too many words that we abide in that are not of him. He prunes with care. He tills your soil. And we carry thoughts, ideas, and images of him. A.W. Tozer describes it this way. We are to have a sanctified imagination. So as we work throughout our day, I think a great practice would be to just pause and take five minutes and realize that he is at work in you and through you. He works alongside of you. He is removing weeds. He is tilling the ground. He is pruning the branches. And then finally, the last thought that I'm carrying with me, even in this sermon, is that the vine dresser owns the place. And at the end of the day, he walks the gardens and he, he he just owns it and takes great delight in it all. And everything in his sight, in your life, is his. There are no property lines. There's no like, well, the property line ends here and I think over there. There's none of that. He is sole proprietor. And I just imagine him walking through as owner. And that is really, there's a sense of confidence and security with that. That he owns the place, that he's at work, and that he notices and he knows me and he loves me. And I just this I just had this little experience with my with my mechanic that reminds me of this. And it's you may think it's silly, but I dropped my car off. And this guy, I've known him for years and years, and he used to um, fix all of the cars that were Westover pastors. He would, you know, just we just trusted him and he would he would often cut us a break here and there. But I walked out after leaving my car and there were all these guys, you know, in kind of the the mechanics place area. And, And as I was walking out, he said, "Okay, John, we'll see you later. Love you, man. I mean, my, my mechanic said that he loved me. I mean, that, that is gr- a great thing. And I didn't know what to say, so I was like, I love you too. And, you know, and I, and I called Emily. I was like, mechanic just said he loved me. And this, you know, it was just, you know, what a great guy. And I've got his cards in my bag. I, you know, I'm just kidding. But, um, but there's really something because, Tim, because he owned the place, And because he knows me and he loves me, you know, there's just a great security in that. There's just a great confidence that he's he's going to he's going to take care of things. And that has that has really stuck with me in thinking about God as the vine dresser. Verse five. Jesus says, I am the vine You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think the temptation is we have this tendency to create our own paradise. I got to own something. I got to create this area of my life that is my walled garden. I got to protect it. And we draw up our own property lines. And that is a tendency. And if we do that, then the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire of other things will choke the word out, making it unfruitful. So my, my, my practical uh, takeaway in, in the vine dresser being the owner is right before your head hits the pillow this evening, introduce this thought to your mind. <sighs> he is the vine dresser. He owns my life. He owns everything in my life and around my life. I can rest. And Isaiah 5 says that God will sing for us as the beloved a song in his vineyard. There's great rest with him, singing and being joyful over our lives. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be so I would like to end with just kind of this, this question. It's a difficult question. What about tragedy, difficulties, circumstances? And I think Todd and Daniel and everybody, they, they do a good job addressing that over and over again. But with this image, I've asked the question, what if the garden floods? And I don't think there's any good answers to life's circumstances. But what I've had to remember is the goal truly is not having, you know, life always go the way that we desire it, but it's about the person that I am becoming. The tree will be recognized by its fruit. And even though I'm perplexed by circumstances, we must know that the vine dresser has been walking with us for years that he is with us in very special ways. And we can actually carry images of him into our grief and pain. I find that this has been true for, for us and our family. In January, uh, my 104-year-old uh, grandmother passed away in a house fire. And it was, you know, we, we just did not expect that to be the way that she would leave and the way that she would pass. And I know it's different when you have someone that old versus a tragedy of a young person. But what was so difficult, especially for my mom, as, as we transitioned for the funeral to Memphis, was just imagining the horror of a butter in a, in a, in a fire that was violent. And it destroyed the house and everything. And that is what was really, that just kind of carrying that, that image with her of what that must have been like. And as we got there, um, we, uh, prior to the service, we actually went to the house and we walked among the rubble. And it was, it was awful, but, but Mom and I talked about this. And, and right in the kitchen area where we know that she had, had passed, <sighs> there was this, this, just this sensation that this was a holy, holy place. That, that this was the place that a transition occurred. Now, I don't know your theology, and I haven't thought through how to describe this, but, but uh, because 
butter, uh, butter uh, uh, my grandmother was in Christ and has such a depth with Christ, we know that the Father came for her. And I don't know the dynamics of that. But, but we had this overwhelming sense that even though we're walking in this charred den, we knew that this was a holy, holy moment for Butter, for her to, to transition. And Mom even talked about, you know, angels, and she loves to talk about angels. So we talked about what that transition, and we kind of formed in our minds this, this picture of the Father coming for our sweet grandmother. And in that moment, and, and that helped us to, to replace the other image of the horror and to really bring that image that gave us actually quite, quite a bit of, of rest and confidence. Now, is that make-belief? <laughs> or is that belief-making? Is that forming images that are true in, in a reality? So, as Daniel mentioned, I think we can make a routine of having biblical imaginations. I think in the morning we can wake up to him noticing us. We can walk throughout our workday knowing that he is at work as well. And right before our head hits the pillow at night, we can hear his song over our lives. And so we must take time to align our thoughts to these realities. So that by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So a couple of questions that you may want to ask in your community group is what unhelpful thoughts do you carry in your everyday imagination? How does that impact your view of God? What words would you like the vine dresser to remove from your everyday thought life? Another couple of questions. How might you reframe suffering and struggle with the vine dresser's presence in mind? How might we pray for the helpers that are down on the coast? What image could we carry? I've got an image of a guy being rescued, and he's got this stressful look on his face. This was, I think, from USA Today. And he's got a little tiny kitten up on his shoulder with big ears, wet. And that's just an image I just care, I'm just carrying with me as I pray and think about the folks down in the coast. I think, that's good. I think that's good use of our imagination. So I'd like to end really with a word from our children downstairs. Two or three weeks ago, I, I taught uh, the parable of the sower down at the, to the second to fourth graders. And knowing that the sermon was coming, I just threw a question out there. And I said, what if God was a gardener and he had kind eyes, gentle but worn hands, and owned the place? What would our lives be like? I had to ask the question two times because they were like, what? What is that? And then finally, a couple answers started to pop up. Um, One child said, "He, he would take care of us. Someone else said, he, he, would protect, he would protect me. He would build a wall and began to talk about their neighbor, just started to build a wall next door. There was all these chipmunks, and you know how they do, just go on and on and on. Chipmunks going in the garden and eating, but they built a wall and the chipmunks are out, you know. But I think, what a great image. That there are certain words and images and ideas that we carry with us 
that the Lord is willing to wall off and block and keep our imaginations from being, by being invaded by those ideas and images. Another uh, child said, he will scare off all the crows. All the crows. No crows. I was like, yes. And then finally, and we'll end with this, one of the a kids said, there would be beauty. There would be lots of flowers. Our lives would be beautiful. I thought, yes, that's right. So may that be so for us here at Hope Chapel. Lord, as we close our eyes, may we see. May you open the eyes of our heart to visualize you walking the rows of our lives, noticing everything that's going on, waking us with love, showing us that you are at work, removing false ideas and images of who you truly are. And Lord, thank you for walking along our lives and singing over us. Lord, we do pray for all the helpers. And may we have a a helping posture to neighbors around us, to people around us here in Greensboro. And may you flourish and bear fruit through us. In Jesus' name, amen. The truth is that my dresser is present with us.